Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Hi, I'm Elise, your fertility pharmacist. Here we are, 2022. While I'd intended to kick off the year with a brand new article, I am still looking for one that is both interesting and relatively easy to explain. So instead of holding out for that perfect new paper, I'm pleased to discuss some research published on December 20th in the journal Human Reproduction. For me, this paper was a sleeper hit. Initially, I'd started reading it just to mention it to a friend, but the further I read, the more I thought it was a good fit for the podcast. So without further ado, today's article is called Parent-Child Relationship Quality and Child Psychological Adjustment in Families Created Using Egg Donation, Children's Perspectives at Age 5 Years. As its long title suggests, this article is about donor eggs and child psychology. I looked back in the podcast archives. I was surprised to find that I'd never covered egg donation before. In episode 16, I'd covered research on how the offspring of sperm donors feel as grown adults about how they were created. And while the concept of interviewing those who were not born of spontaneous conception is similar, the setups are ultimately quite different. Today's study kicked off in 2013, when 12 fertility clinics in the UK asked heterosexual families who had recently conceived using IVF to participate in a long-term study. In the very first phase of the study, 85 moms who had used donor eggs to conceive through IVF were compared with 65 moms who had their own biological child through IVF. The comparison showed that the egg donation moms, when playing freely with their infants, showed lower levels of sensitivity compared to the moms who had biological IVF infants. This study also found that egg donor babies were less responsive and less involving of their moms in tasks versus biological IVF infants. These results were not exactly encouraging and pretty much begged for follow-up, which brings us to the next and most recent phase of the study, phase two, where the infants have now become five years old. The age of five was selected because enough research has shown that children as young as four can talk reliably about their family relationships, external conflicts, and psychological adjustments, and because UK fertility clinics tell patients to let their children know how they were created at an early age. So the study assumed that at least some of these children had been informed of how they were conceived. To me, what made this study particularly compelling was how the five-year-olds were interviewed. The families were visited in their homes by two psychologists, and each five-year-old gave verbal consent of willingness to participate in the study. Then, the parents left the room, and the psychologists brought out two identical dog puppets. They would have dog puppet number one say a statement like, I worry a lot. Then they would have dog puppet number two say something the opposite, like, I don't worry a lot. The psychologist would use a neutral tone when making these opposing statements because then they would ask the child to pick which statement felt more comfortable for them. This technique of interviewing is called the Berkeley Puppet Interview. The psychologist asks the kids a bunch of statements using this puppet technique related to warmth, anger, depression, anxiety, strength, and competency. They also ask the children free answer questions. All the interviews were video recorded on the spot, then later reviewed by two independent researchers who had not met the children. 
Unlike in phase one of the study, in the second phase of the study, the parents and the children were not assessed for personal interactions. I didn't see an explanation for this, but perhaps it was because the five-year-olds might act unnaturally, altering the behavior to try to please either their parents or the interviewers if they were asked to interact with their parents in front of a stranger. This is purely my speculation. And that is a quick gist of how the study was set up. I'll post a link to the study in the show notes for those who wish to read all of the methodology in greater detail. It's time for results. 93 five-year-olds ultimately participated in this study. 50 of those 93 children were born from donor eggs, while 43 children were born from biological eggs. The answers between groups were the same in most aspects. The children had similar scores for depression, anxiety, competency, and strength. There were also no differences found between how the children viewed their fathers in any aspects of testing, and those included warmth, enjoyment, anger, and hostility. Where the differences came into play were in consideration of their mothers. While most children overall in both groups felt that their mothers were high in warmth and enjoyment, the children from donor eggs rated their mothers as showing more warmth and enjoyment in their relationship compared to the biological IVF children. This resulting difference was statistically significant and had a medium effect size. The authors tried to see if the father's self-ratings of anxiety played into the difference, but no. The results still showed that donor egg five-year-olds rated their mother's warmth and enjoyment more highly. Of note, there were no perceivable differences in how much anger or hostility the children felt their mothers exhibited, and this was rated low. When asking the children more broadly about their families, 65% of the children thought their family was different from other families, and statistically more children in the egg donor families felt this way. When I dug into the egg donor children's responses about why their families were different and looked at quotes from the kids, it doesn't seem like coming from an egg donor or an IVF family had anything to do with it. In fact, these answers seem to be just the kind of responses any five-year-old might give. Here are the three main reasons that the kids gave for feeling their families were different. One, we go on holidays at different times than other families. Two, we have a baby, but some families don't. And three, which is my favorite, because my daddy doesn't have any hair, but my mommy does. When asked, most children said they would not change their family if given a choice. From the 16 kids who did want to change something in their family, five didn't know what they would change, Two wanted a new house, two wanted to change the sex of their sibling, and two wanted better relationships in their family. There were some pretty fun one-off answers about specifically what might be changed, including, I want a pet bunny, I want my family to buy different flavors of ice cream, and I want to change my family into a cat family, and I'd be a cheetah. None of the responses indicated that kids wanted to be in a different family or have a different parent. It is worth noting that the Berkeley Puppet interview can make group comparisons and see how children fall in a positive or negative scoring range, but it cannot identify if a child has any psychiatric symptoms. It's also worth noting that just under 20% of the families from the first phase of the study did not participate in phase two. It's possible that some of those families didn't participate because they didn't want interviewers to shine a light on a family situation that wasn't exactly awesome. The paper did note that 10% of the parents from phase one had separated. Thus, missing one-fifth of the population from that first study could have shifted results. Keeping all of this in mind, the authors of this study concluded that, 
quote, the differences found in infancy have not affected the quality of the later mother-child relationship at age five years, at least from the child's perspective, unquote. The authors speculated that the reason for the subideal results seen in the egg donor infants may have been due to the mother struggling with not having a genetic relationship with their babies and or that the parents felt more confident in their position as a parent as the child grew older. The authors then speculated that the reasons the donor egg children felt their mothers were warmer was because the donor egg moms were older in general, they'd tried more IVF cycles compared to the biological IVF mothers, and that therefore made the donor egg moms especially committed to parenthood. The authors also said they had evidence from a previous study that supported greater warmth and enjoyment in donor egg mother-child relationships. But the study they cited when I tracked it down and read it didn't say this at all. The cited study was published in 2013 and it looked at a small group of kids from donor eggs, sperm donors, and spontaneous conception. It only said that spontaneous conception kids felt like they had less in common with their mothers at age 10 versus at age 7. The 2013 study specifically said there were no differences in warmth or affection between groups. And I'm posting this exact section in the show notes for you to read as well. This error makes me wonder if the current authors misinterpreted the earlier study, yet still used it to support their conclusions. What else did they get wrong? I appreciate trying to assess and interpret the emotions of children could be difficult. In an ideal non-pandemic world, with ample time, money, and support staff, this would be an international study that also included American families as the U.S. has over 10 times the number of donor egg births annually versus the U.K. I should have mentioned it before, but I'm mentioning it now. Over 95% of the families in the study were white. Diversifying the family makeups in most aspects would help current and future families with egg donor children to develop a better understanding of how results from studies like this could apply to them. My ultimate take on the study is it was interesting, but of limited use on its own. I liked learning how puppetry can be involved in child psychology research, but I seriously question if the study's results should in any way shift parenting techniques. And that concludes this podcast episode. Links to today's study and to studies related to it can be found in the show notes at www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in. 